You're listening to the Sexual Wellness Sessions with Kate Moyle. Today's conversation was brought to you by Hanks, who offer trusted contraception and intimate health treatments without the stigma. Set up by best friends Sarah and Farah, Hanks offers natural, sustainable sexual wellness essentials such as condoms and lubricants that are free from unnecessary chemicals that can lead to UTIs and yeast infections. Hanks, like me, believe it's time the world's stopping weird about our sex lives, and that starts with tackling taboos around sexual health, and Hanks champion a no-blushes approach about everything from your vaginal pH to how to have that contraceptive conversation. Hanks is offering listeners 20% off the bestseller bundle, which brings together a 10-pack of Hanks condoms in standard or large size, ultra-thin, ultra-sensitive, vegan, biodegradable, and no nasties. Also, the Hanks Super Gentle Water-Based Lubricant, which is safe to use with condoms and sex toys for pre- and postpartum sex and for those experiencing menopausal dryness. Plus, it's profoundly unflavoured with no thrush-inducing glycerin. And finally, an organic cotton subtle pouch, which is perfectly sized to fit a pack of Hanks and a lubricant plus any other bedroom essentials. Just add to basket and use the code SWS20 at hanksofficial.com. My guest today has been named the Manifesting Queen by Forbes, and she authored one of the most photographed books of the last year, the iconically orange-covered Sunday Times bestseller Manifest, Seven Steps to Living Your Best Life. And this is exactly what Roxy does when she is helping people in her role as a self-development coach. She's also an ambassador for the Mental Health Foundation, working with people to help them to fulfil their potential. She also hosts the brilliant podcast, The Moments That Made Me, created The Journal, which is a 12-week self-love and empowerment programme. Roxy Nafusi, you have been a very, very busy person (laughs) in the last couple of years. But for me... I guess I wanted to have this conversation about how manifesting can play a part in our sex lives and relationships because it's something I knew very little about. I mean, Mm. we weave visualisation and I suppose manifesting and mindfulness and meditation and focus and self-awareness into therapy and psychosexual therapy and relationship therapy in lots of ways, but it feels like such a specific but wide-reaching approach Mm. and I know when the we've spoken that a lot of people contact you because they want to manifest love and they want to manifest that in a huge way and that that for me was something that I wondered how that would tie into the work that I do. Yeah well I think that you know, manifesting really does kind of apply to everything because to me, manifesting is a self-development practice. It's it's like the umbrella for me and then mm. all inner healing comes underneath it. And I think especially when it comes to relationships, um, sex, you know, so much of that is intrinsically linked to our self-worth, right? Yeah. And manifesting at its core is about self-worth. It's about what we believe we're worthy of receiving and self-love is the driving force of that. And so, of course, if we're looking at our relationships, the relationships that are present in our life, how we experience them, how we feel about how desirable we are, how attractive we are, we feel, um, you know, manifesting is going to play a huge part in that. Um, Step two of my seven steps to manifesting is remove fear and doubt. And that really is about 
um, letting go of limiting beliefs and insecurities. And I think that, you know, I'm definitely aware of, you know, as we grow up, so many of the limiting beliefs we have or the insecurities we have are around how lovable we think we are um, and how worthy we are, we feel we are of receiving attention or um, care. Um, And that all plays into this. Yeah, massively. And I think that's the word, isn't it? Doubt. Mm. For me, when you just said that, I just thought, God, is doubt the biggest thing that we think that does block people in terms of whether it's finding love or dating or confidence or sexual self-confidence? I I guess probably it is. Mm. Definitely. I think... I always say that kind of the thing that's standing between us and our dreams, anything we want to manifest, whether that's a romantic partner or a job or a house, is this fear and doubt. And the fear and doubt lives within our subconscious. And it is a culmination of our doubt in our abilities, um, our doubt in ourselves, in in the universe's ability to provide, um, you know, and, and all of these things that we kind of grow, you know, we start forming these beliefs that we aren't worthy or building this fear and doubt from such a young age and then all the relationships we have after that contribute to kind of supporting those early beliefs Mm. and we can kind of have a lens that we see it all through can't we or a filter or a perspective Mm. and I think one of the questions I often ask people as a therapist is could there be another meaning to that or could that be seen in another way? Mm. Or if I asked someone else, would they say the same thing? And I think that's because we can get this this tunnel vision and it feels like the doubts and the negative self-beliefs or the limiting self-beliefs really contribute to that. And I think one of the things that I literally just thought of, actually, it wasn't remotely in the questions that mm. I had for today, was you talk a lot about this idea of... Um, abundance mindset Mm. and limited mindset or that there's not enough of everything scarcity mindset yeah yeah exactly scarcity mindset and I guess I just thought just then is is that idea of the one a scarcity mindset Mm, interesting because then we we think oh my god I've got to find the one there is only one whereas an abundance mindset is I could meet and be happy with or connect with or have great sex with or go on dates with numerous people that could get me what I want or make me feel the way I want to feel? I think that is such a good question. And I think that actually, yes, I think the idea of the one does represent a scarcity mindset. I think you're right, because what happens then is if we think we've met the one and then it doesn't work out, of course we go, well, there's not another one. (laughs) There's no Mm. one else. There's lack, there's scarcity. And so that's what we keep attracting. But I mean, I definitely come, you know, for what I personally believe is that there are multiple people in our lives that are our soulmates. And that I think we can experience love. Um, Look, we never experienced the same love twice but that's not a bad thing. We can experience yeah. dots of, we have lots of different experiences of love that are just as intense and incredible and wonderful as the other. But they're different. And I think that as we grow in our lives and as we change, there are different people that will show us love in ways that match that. I mean, I'm just, I've never really been, in terms of my own personal love journey, let's say, I've never really been under the kind of, um, well, I've never really, I've never really wanted 
one person forever. Mm. It's not even something that's ever appealed to me. Um, I like the idea that we have multiple soulmates because I think that in each relationship that we have, we 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 learn something different about ourselves. We experience something yeah. different, and yeah, yeah. And I was just you and I um were on a panel talking quite recently, mm. and one of the things I was talking about was all of the um, contradictions of love. And I read it to my partner before, and they were like it's quite negative. And I was like, I don't think it is actually. I just think it's realistic mm. because it wasn't this romantic, um, you know, unicorns, rainbows, everything will work out perfectly and Disney version of love that I was talking about. I was talking about this idea of how if we're taught that there is the one, then how or the other half, then what does that mean? That we're only half ourselves before we meet that person mm. and how society is very couple centric and I think that a lot of that feeds into probably what you were saying about so many people manifesting wanting love or wanting relationship or wanting attachment because they feel like that's what they should be doing and we live mm. in this society that kind of says you've made it if you are coupled totally I so agree I so agree and I think it's again it's just such a good point and you know, for me, a big part of manifestation and of step one, being clear in what you want and being clear in your vision is really understanding that what you want has to be authentic to you and not what society tells us we should want. Mm. And so it's about really going, like for me going, hey, actually, you know, I'm going to sit here and admit that one person forever just doesn't appeal to me. But for a lot of people, they would find that really hard to even say, or if, if somebody's a couple that are married and they don't want to have children. Like there's still such stigma attached to it or somebody that doesn't want to be in a relationship at all or, you know, someone that's not in or the, or the, you know, and there's that as well. And we're manifesting and we're trying to, if we feel like we're being, you know, put down or judged because we're not in this like conventional relationship. And it's also going to block us from having the things we want because it's instilling this kind of self-doubt within us. So it's all exacerbating it because this manifesting cycle, everything kind of is feeding into each other. And so it's really about understanding what it is you actually want and then freeing yourself from worrying what other people think about that. Mm. God, I do a lot of that in psychosexual therapy, I think, and helping people define what their ideas about sex and sexual mm. wellness and sexual well-being look like rather than subscribing to a model which isn't quite working for them and actually perhaps changing the model is the thing that they need to do rather than anything else. And totally. I think that there's so much in that. And so if we go back a step, probably the step that we should have done at the beginning, but is manifesting is about believing in something in order to see it come your way. So... Perhaps that's a different way around to how people think that it might normally be or this idea of kind of fake it till you make it. And I guess for me, what what would you even say when people are listening to this? And some people, I imagine, a lot of people listening to this will be your audience who have heard you talk about manifesting and read the book. But for the person who hasn't discovered manifesting yet or learned much about it yet, how would you, what's the top line kind of definition of it um manifesting is using the power of your mind to change and create the reality you experience um and essentially it's about being able to 
become the most empowered version of ourselves that exists so that we can make things happen, so that we can attract to us the things that we want into our lives. Um, and like I said earlier, that the core of that is our self-worth because we manifest what we believe mm. we are worthy of receiving. So how does manifesting then work with trying to find, let's say, a relationship or love? Let's just say love is because that's what I feel like lots of people would say mm. they're looking for. Would Do you say there's a link then between manifesting and then the idea of learning to love yourself first? Because we hear that all the time, don't mm. we? You know, in order to be happy in a relationship or to be loved in a relationship, we have to learn to love ourselves first. Mm. 100%. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's absolutely true. And the reason it's true is because of this this thing that I've just said, which is that we manifest what we believe we are worthy of. And I believe that, for me, I call it the universe. And the universe to me is this energetic force greater than ourselves. And we are always showing the universe what we believe we are worthy of receiving. And we show it by the way that we treat ourselves um, and by how, how well we cultivate self-love. So if we're able, if we, if we want to attract love into our lives, the first thing to do is show the universe that we think we are worthy of love. And how do we show it that we think we are worthy of love is by treating ourselves with love and respect and compassion and kindness. And so for me, that is why loving yourself is such an integral part of manifesting love into your life. Mm. And you talk about putting out high vibes. Is that what that is? And about energy? Mm. Because I know I've heard you talk about this idea of kind of how manifesting can kind of change the vibes or the energy and this high energy and low energy mm. and frequency of energy. And is there that sense of what we're putting out then is different? Well, basically, um, quantum physics tells us that like like attracts like. And mm-hmm. so essentially what that, that implies is that if we, and, and sorry, let me say that everything in the universe is energy. So everything is made up of energy. That's the sky above us, the chair we're sat on, us, our thoughts, our feelings and emotions. They all are made up of energy. And you get things that have a high vibrational frequency and thoughts and feelings and emotions also can have a high vibrational frequency, such as love, um, joy, contentment, gratitude. And then we can get things that have a low vibrational frequency, such as, and and thoughts and feelings also can have that, which is anger, shame, guilt, regret. Mm. And so if we um, sort of manipulate our own frequency by changing how we, you know, just by the way that we feel, the thoughts that we attach to and the emotions that we experience, we then, by the law of attraction, attract those high that frequency back to us so if we're operating at a high frequency and we're immersing ourselves in those feelings and emotions of love joy passion then we will attract abundance back into our life whereas if we're sat in this kind of low vibrational frequency of shame guilt then that's what we'll keep attracting to us and I think that especially when it comes to relationships and sex I think shame is a really big one mm-hmm. I think that the shame is I mean, I, I don't really want to stereotype, but I do think that women hold a lot more shame around sex than men because, I mean, I f- f- certainly know that in, you know, from experience that feeling like you enjoy sex or that you want to have sex can also bring up feelings of shame because of, you know, 
culture and society mm-hmm. you know does that make me a whore or a slut like these these horrible words that people have used in the past and I think things are much better now but people did slut shame right and all of that and yep. it's like someone that wanted sex was these was these things and it's just like it's horrible and it gets inside your subconscious and then you attach shame to yourself around how you feel about sex absolutely and the shame is very low vibrational and so really, actually, it's a huge uh, understanding your shame around sex and relationships and being able to let that go and switch that into a more high vibrational feeling of acceptance, pleasure, joy, passion is actually, a, a, you know, an incredible step on our manifesting journeys. Mm. And it's the ability to think about those things differently because so much shame and one of the earlier episodes in the series with Natalie from Style Me Sunday, mm. exactly about this, she's just written her book all about sexual shame, mm. was building up a sense of self-awareness around it because so much of it is unconsciously mm. there. Totally. And carried with us and invisibly picked up that addressing or thinking about it or building awareness about it is a lot of the time, the first step to changing it, you know, why am I feeling bad for that when I actually don't think I've done anything wrong? Or Mm. why do I feel guilty for something that I don't think I should feel bad for? Mm. And one of the things that we do as humans is, you know, we have metacognition, so we can think about our thinking. And there's a lot in that, because we have a thought, and then we pass judgment on that thought even if it's just us doing that to ourselves. Yeah. And I guess that for me is where I'm thinking that manifesting could also play a part because it's that self-compassion, self-kindness, self-awareness or thinking about something in an alternative way or reframing. And it feels quite nurturing, I suppose, because you are starting to perhaps push back on those things that are unconscious but in quite a deliberate way. I mean, for Mm. me, manifesting feels like a practice, like something quite deliberate in the way that mindfulness is a practice Mm. and it doesn't just happen we have to build it totally yeah beautifully articulated I think that's I have nothing to add on that I think you you put it so well (laughs) (laughs) and when we're talking about manifesting in this way can we manifest a feeling as well because I think the idea of manifesting you know I want to feel loved is very different to I want to manifest the perfect partner and that they have this list of attributes yeah um you absolutely can and I think it's really uh and I think this is always really really reassuring for people that think I have no idea what I want to manifest because a lot of people yeah. don't and I think you know a lot of people find manifesting as I did and um, when they're feeling really lost or they just don't know what they want from their lives and they're feeling maybe at rock bottom and so it's hard when you're in that place to think oh okay I can visualize the house I know what career I want Often we don't. What we what we know is that we don't want to be where we're at. And that yeah. can be all we know, and so you can just start to think about: okay, how do I want my life to feel? How do mm. I want to feel within the different areas of my life? Do I want to feel more content? Do I want to feel like I have there's a sense of adventure? Do I want to feel um, like I'm being challenged at work, or do I want to feel like I'm being inspired, or do I want to feel I'm within relationships? Do I want to feel safe? Do I want to feel comfortable? Do I want to feel um nurtured do I want to feel excited like you know you can think about how you want your relationship to feel and how you want to feel within that relationship and you can absolutely start your manifesting journey 
with that feeling. Because mm. I did a course called The Science of Happiness with Dr. Laurie Santos. Mm. Um, it was just an online course. But it was all about the research showing that actually what makes people happiest isn't the things, you know, buying items. It was experiences. Mm. And it was talking all about people's subjective experiences and how people were rating if they'd bought something versus that they'd done something and mm. how creating memories and having experiences actually was something that brought more happiness than consumerism or going to the mm. shop and buying something. And it was all um, also saying things like people who were happier in their jobs but earned less had or reported better overall levels of happiness. And mm. I guess that's where I was thinking about if we're manifesting a feeling or a way of being, perhaps that is better than I want these things. Because Definitely. we also know that those things can't guarantee to make us happy. No, exactly. And I think that um, I, I always say this, that the most, the greatest gift that manifesting offers us is to become the best version of ourselves that we can be. Mm. And the really the, the most important question is, who do I want to become? You know, and, and that's why that's why this is a practice that for me is just so magnificent and that I love and like you can hear how passionate I am about it probably because it is the the things that you get, the abundance, the you know, whatever it is, the money, the the job, whatever, those are just the cherry on top. Mm-hmm. But the actual gift, the real beauty of it is this feeling of empowerment, confidence. And a real knowing that you are worthy of having a life that makes you feel mm. content. Do you think it's also about lining up the person you think or know yourself to be and the person that you show others that you are? It's a bringing together of those two things. Of course, yeah. It's about being authentic um, and being and, and aligning yourself, um, you know, with with your most authentic self and with the person that you want to become and bringing all of those things together. Mm. Because in my experience, the people that actually really struggle in lots of ways are the people who feel that they are one version of themselves privately Mm. and show another version of themselves publicly. Definitely. And I can't remember who said it. It was in a podcast I listened to. Someone talked about the gap between those two things being where... So cognitive dissidence. Mm. But being where, you know, mental health struggles can Mm. grow. So the bigger the gap, more space for those battles to wage, so to speak. And I think that as a psychosexual therapist, I see it a lot because people, when they get into if it, the bedroom, mm. you know, the phrase we use, it's not always the bedroom necessarily, <laughs> but into the bedroom with someone, is a lot of the coping mechanisms that they might use in everyday life to show others that they are being the person that they want to be seen to be can't translate into a sexual space can't translate into being undressed both emotionally and physically mm. and that can be incredibly anxiety provoking for people or people who show publicly that they are confident and might really kind of you know always be the loudest person in the room but that is their facade or their coping mechanism their way of being which keeps them feeling okay suddenly dissipates when it's just you and another person in the room and everyone's taking their clothes off yeah and that can be really terrifying 
for people. Yeah. I mean, being vulnerable is terrifying. Mm. Being vulnerable and allowing yourself to be seen for who you really are. And that's what that's asking you to do, isn't it? And I think if you're so used to, like, having this facade that you can put out on, you know, to everybody, you know, at work or out with your friends, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're in this intimate space and you can't do that. Mm. Um, Well, even just anxiety, because then if it happens, so say performance anxiety mm. happens, we've got nowhere to go. We can't leave the situation that's making us feel anxious or we can't just divert we can't hide we can't avoid and I think that for a lot of people that is really scary and is mm. certainly something that I work with a lot in the therapy room but I think that it goes back then to confidence and doubt which you were saying earlier because in those situations we can doubt ourselves more and what we aren't taught is to have the confidence how to manage that doubt or to have the confidence to say do you know what I'm struggling a bit here or something I often talk to people that I'm working with about is if they have difficulties sexually or a history of finding sex quite difficult or that it takes them a bit of time to settle into sex with a new partner or Mm. they feel quite anxious is I always say talk to your partner about it before if you feel able and safe to do so And just to say, do you know what? Sometimes sex isn't always that straightforward for me Mm. or sometimes it doesn't always go to plan. If that happens, it's not about you. It's just something that happens for me. A bit like everything else in life doesn't work perfectly all the time. And I don't want you to worry. And we'll just try something else or we'll be able to talk about it in the moment. Or, But just so you know, Mm. I don't want you to assume that this means anything about you. And actually, a lot of the time, setting up that can remove some of the doubt. Definitely. Because the doubt is often the kind of first thing that kicks in, you know, those anxiety-provoking thoughts, those worrisome thoughts. Mm. They are a circuit breaker in a lot of ways. Yeah, 100%. And it, But do you find that people, whereas, you know, we're always, within any relationship, you're always trying to highlight that communication is like, you know, the first thing, the most important thing. But do you think when it comes to sex, it's still the the conversation that people struggle with the most? Yes. Sex and money. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, why do we feel so uncomfortable to talk about sex? Because no one's ever showed us how. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's really, I think it's really basic that we talk about pretty much everything else and sex has been left out of the conversation, so we have no models to base it on. Mm. When people do talk about it, there's an instant kind of frisson or energy change in the room where everyone gets a bit twitchy. You know, even just the word sex. If you think about it, if someone says in front of a child, everyone goes... <gasps> yeah, <laughs> so that, true. That kind of intake of breath that happens. And we only see certain versions of it that are mediafied whether they're tv you know Mm. film pornography obviously being a part of it but really we only see in mainstream and when i say that i mean taking pornography off to one side so mainstream what we see on our tv screens and advertising and things like that they're very polished perfect versions of sex Mm. and i think whenever we've seen sex being talked about in those ways which a lot of the time we're not realistic because they're not meant to be realistic. 
we think, okay, well, that's what I'm seeing. So that's what I assume it's meant to be like. Mm. And we have no platform, really. We do now, actually, probably the last kind of five years is really changing. But for how to talk about sex in a normalising way, Mm. we have sex education, basic biology, reproduction, this is what to do, not to do, off you go. Yeah. And then we have all of this years and then we only really hear sex discussed at critical points. So whether that's pregnancy, like postnatally, menopause a bit, but you shouldn't need these big points to have to have the conversations. Totally. I think it's very ingrained Mm. and I think it's a mixture of lots of things. But as you said earlier, things like messaging that is very ingrained about women enjoying or wanting sex. Mm and what men do and what women do and that's why I really liked what you said about manifesting being shaping your own version of these things because yeah so often I think what is holding people back sexually and I think in relationships as well because people can hold back from relationships for fear of what their partner might think about their sexual desires for example so much of it is a hangover a lot of the time of something that isn't even ours. So true. And I think we have it about relationships as well. People who we think date too much or not enough or what's wrong with them or why are they, st- why are they still single? You know, those kind of questions. And they're very um, loaded. Yeah. I mean, we are just constantly passing judgment on everyone. And <laughs> it's just it's just got to stop. I really feel like... One thing I try to, a message I definitely try to share in in my book is this um, idea of like how low vibrational it is and how negatively it affects us to be constantly judging others. Um, um, Because then we do, we hear, if we hear somebody constantly judging someone else, the fear comes in is, are they judging me? Mm. And so we never give ourselves the freedom to just be who we are, want what we want, do what we want to do. And so it's like collectively we all need to work towards yeah. changing that. God, do you think do you think it would be possible to live in a society there where we all just do what we all want to do all the time? Wouldn't it be I think carnage? that things are definitely I mean, not to the expense of ever hurting anyone, obviously, that's not mm. what I'm saying. But I do think we are cha- I do think things are already changing. I think mm. that people this like one hundred percent look at the difference in the last ten years of about how people are how much more open we are to like everything in terms of like sexuality um gender the way we speak about sex female pleasure like things are absolute they're already changing and i think that in another 10 years hopefully we're going to be even more open to self-expression yeah i hope so because i guess for me one of the things that i try and advocate I think slightly more is acceptance of everyone else's different versions Mm. and I think that's a big part of the conversation around sex is work out what your own version is and how it works for you and be more accepting of everyone else's totally and I think that there is definitely something in that that we aren't taught we're kind of taught that there's this one way this one version this right way Mm. of how we do everything and I think that that also relates to relationships and I'm listening to a book at the moment called um love and choice and something that I've talked about before but 
the author Lucy really eloquently talks about is this idea of the relationship escalator. So we slightly kind of subconsciously or unconsciously get on at the bottom and we just keep going up and up and up and we might not really have deliberately chosen or thought about a different way of doing things. Mm. And that's about breaking away from perhaps the kind of monogamous one partner for life, marriage, kids, etc. model. Definitely. And there is definitely something in that why would one way of doing that work for everyone when nothing else in life only works for everyone being one way (laughs) so true (laughs) that's so true I think there's something massively in that and I I like that self-development for me at least feels like at the moment a way of saying to everyone challenge assumptions on a regular basis perhaps or Mm. think about what you're doing and why you're doing it or who you're doing it for yeah I mean, I definitely agree. And I think that, you know, with manifesting and all self-development, we're constantly just trying to ask ourselves why we're constructing narratives, what stories we're telling ourselves, what assumptions we're making about what other people think. Everything starts with that, with that kind of awareness. And you said you found manifesting when you were at rock bottom. Do you think that that is where a lot of people might start with something like this because there is such a, I suppose, such a kind of loss of like where to go or what to do or how to do it. And I think that stuckness that so many people can feel Mm. is really detrimental to lots of areas of people's lives, but particularly mental health. Yeah. And... For me, I think a lot of people are looking for a tool to help them shift in that stuckness. Mm. But also a lot of those tools are really, you know, let's just use therapy as an example, expensive, exclusive, time consuming, you know, Mm. quite how can someone get to and afford therapy if they're feeling really stuck in their job, which isn't paying them a salary, which affords them that. Or the waiting lists are a year long for them to be able to afford three free therapy Mm. and I think that for me there is something in trying to find things which are accessible for people Mm. and I guess that's what you're saying about manifesting yeah I mean manifesting is it gives people firstly hope and it gives people back their Mm. control and you understand that really it's not about waiting for these like you know, huge earth-shattering moments in your life to change things and make things better. But it's actually about making these really small changes to the way that you think, the way that you behave, the way that you act, that will, when done consistently, result in monumental, lasting change. Mm. Control is such a big Mm. word, isn't it? Because for me, I think a lot of people that I'm working with feel in some way out of control of whether it's how their body is working or how they are experiencing a dysfunction or a pain condition or miscarriage or infertility or in their relationship. And I think that there is 
something that helps us to something that helps us to feel back in control is a massive massive perspective shift because when we feel out of control we do feel powerless we feel we can't change anything or there's nothing within our reach that we can do anything mm. about and I think in therapy that's what we do we, you know and a lot of it is starting to rebuild control or build control over certain elements whether it's um, in terms of sex like building up touch so taking the problem part which might be penetrative sex or intercourse off the table and helping couples or individuals to kind of build up to that and feel in control of at least the mm. first steps so it's like going back to basics and feeling out of control is terrifying mm. for us as humans or feeling like we are in no way in control of our lives and we know that that's what people can be feeling in high states of anxiety and states of depression or that when someone is just at a loss or grieving or just in a point where they feel they don't have control over their own lives mm. it's a really uncomfortable place for us to be it seems we don't like it we like to be in <laughs> charge of everything yeah absolutely I think um you know there's there's a fine balance because we can't control a, a lot of things that happen to in our lives or to us and actually manifesting is really about this perfecting this balance between controlling the things that you can but then surrendering to what is and surrendering to the mm. journey. And when you can find that balance, that's the real sweet spot. Yeah, because we obviously can't control, also when there's someone else is involved. You know, I often talk to people about how we can go through all the stages and of like practicing, a bit like practicing for a marathon or a race or whatever it is. We can go through all the stages so that you feel prepared, get your mind on your side, physically you know what you're doing, feel like you have your ideas about what you might do in the moment. But on the day race day let's just say it's a really cliche analogy but the, it could be boiling hot or you could have not mm. slept the night before because there was I don't know noise yeah. outside your window or you'd have woken up really early or you've got a blister in your running shoes from training the day before you know there's all of those out of control mm. variants but then how do we go into the situation I suppose more comfortable with the out of controlness and it feels like that's a lot of the work that you're doing with people in your workshops and workshops and things is is about that is how do you feel I don't know more confident less doubting more in control of going out into life which is by nature uncontrollable yeah it's I think that's a and that uh, the race analogy is such a great example it's uh you know you can prepare but then you never know what's going to happen and being okay with the outcome no matter what um, is a very empowering place to be. And that really speaks to kind of my step four overcome test from the universe, which is basically being able to stand strong and resilient and keep going no matter what challenges mm. or obstacles you face. And so it's the idea that those things are going to come. Of course. Those challenges are going to happen. Of course. Nobody lives a challenge-free life, unfortunately, but it's how we deal with them that really mm. um, influences how we experience the world. Yeah, I think it's a really critical point isn't it because when I'm working with people I often say to them look we're not going to be able to change all of those things or I'm not going to say or promise you in any way that I can take away all your negative thoughts but we will work together to learn mm. how to manage them so I mean for me I'm thinking that actually there's a lot of threads of manifesting probably in the way that I practice without having realized talking to you 
100%. I think I find this all the time is that actually people are often manifesting already without even knowing it. Or, you know, if you think Mm. all the kind of great thinkers and philosophers and speakers, you know, so many of them are talking about manifesting. None none of what I'm teaching is new. You know, I'm probably just, I've just packaged up lots of ideas um, into really bite-sized and accessible Accessible. ways that people can apply Mm. to their everyday life so it doesn't feel so daunting. You also talk about mindfulness and meditation. Mm. How does that play into all of this? Um, The practice of mindfulness um, is one that we can use to help us to deal with stress, overwhelm, anxiety. It trains our brain to be more present, which means that we can cultivate more high vibrational gratitude. Um, It allows us space, mental space to problem solve, to come up with new ideas, to be creative, innovative. Um, And so mindfulness is uh, a tool that really empowers every area of our lives both on a physical and mental level Mm. it's kind of bringing us into ourselves isn't it totally I think well we can you know meditation is a form of my is one way that we can practice mindfulness um and I and in a manifesting practice you know like you can like a visualization meditation is like a really powerful ritual that you can do you keep immersing yourself in the future um but I think you can be mindful in many ways you know exercising walking working Mm. watching something you know you can eating you can do them all in a mindful way Mm. and in a basic way is it that also really helpful for us because for me I feel like life particularly at the moment is super busy and it's constant overload and more 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 and we're constantly being distracted and the minute you put your phone down you're being notified that (laughs) something else is happening and I mean notifications in itself just the the definition of the word you're being notified all the time and a lot Mm. of it is fairly irrelevant um you know I think if you cut heart over half a percent half the percent of what you're being notified about out you probably wouldn't notice but it's that taking of attention mm. all the time. And I think the dissolving of the nine to five working model and you know, particularly with us all working from home and mm. COVID and all of that has left not very much space for being mindful or ever being distraction free or ever doing just one mm. thing at a time. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we def- that's why we have to take responsibility to practice it and to cultivate it and find moments in the day Um that we can practice it and making sure that, you know, we can understand our priorities so that we don't constantly split our focus, you know, because what what's mm-hmm. happening is that we're on our emails whilst feeding our kids dinner, you know, whilst the TV is on. And so that's, that split focus is what causes us to feel especially stressed and overwhelmed. Whereas if we can practice mindfulness day to day, what we can start to do is when we're emailing, we're focused on that email, getting it done. We write it in half the time. But when we're with our children and we're in our relaxation time, being completely present and mindful in that moment, being mindful in play, you know, and, and as well in sex. Like how important is it then to just like be in the moment with someone? 
you know, because I'm sure many people listening will have had sex or they're thinking about something completely different, you know, and they're still they're still taking work into the bedroom with them. And even then it's important to practice mindfulness. Massively. I mean, it's it's a huge tool in the work that I do because so many people are saying that. They're saying, you know, I'm I'm going through the motions, yeah. but I'm not there. I'm not in the room. I'm not physically noticing what's going on in my body I'm nowhere near orgasm I'm thinking about the meeting that I've got first thing tomorrow morning and going through my to-do list and and not because I'm not attracted to my partner or I'm not enjoying sex with my partner but purely because I don't Mm. know how to switch off I talk about it a lot as I'm switching off to turn on and I'm just doing a campaign with Headspace at the moment around women's health and sex and relationships is a part of that Mm. and it's just again then when we're thinking that how do we feel afterwards that leads back to that guilt and shame thing doesn't it being oh my god what happened there you know why am I yeah why I don't I like sex anymore exactly I think that's when the spiral starts am I not attracted to my partner anymore maybe this isn't good what does that mean does that mean our relationship isn't working and suddenly we're down that Mm. path aren't we of assuming or that negative bias that we have and we are miles away from the fact that we actually just were scribbling our to-do list before bed and then we thought about something and we just didn't give ourselves a couple of minutes just to close down or shut down totally and I think that all of this stuff feels like it's really linked Mm. and I guess for one one thing I really wanted to ask before we close up this conversation is around dating mm. because I think, well, I know that you have said before that that's a lot of the the people coming to your workshops and things are that people are asking about dating. And I think that a lot of people listening might be interested in that because for the people who are trying to date or who are dating or trying to find love or trying to find a partner, however you want to phrase it, mm. but feel like they're just not getting anywhere or feel like they're going on, hundreds of the same not great first dates Mm. or struggling to meet anyone on dating apps or just and we have this context don't we which is two years basically of not really being able to date and a lot of people I think feel then the panic about that because they feel Mm. I've lost that time but how can manifesting help if someone is feeling stuck in dating I think if it when you start to like we start to get that like panic it's very like low vibe Mm-hmm. and then you're trying to like force something into place and that isn't that's not a high vibrational response and so if you feel like you've been trying and you're like getting frustrated like ease off I would like ease off come back to yourself come back to really like understanding where you need healing everything always comes back to our fear and doubt So it's like, come back to what you still need to heal around yourself, making yourself feel as good as you can, taking yourself on dates, like doing these things for yourself and trust that the right person will appear. There's no point being on a dating app if you're getting frustrated with it. You know, go back when you feel like, okay, I'm ready to come back on and try this again. Like if you're there and you've got that like energy and you're swiping and you're like, oh, I need to find someone like that's just not going to serve you. And so ease off when you need, come back to yourself, come back to focusing on gratitude for all that you have, you know, being the best version of yourself, trusting that probably someone is, when you're in that alignment anyway, and you've really practiced that, 
people will come into your life in the most unexpected ways. We know this. It doesn't have to be on an app. Like there are many ways that we can meet someone or stumble across the love of our life or the person that, you know, is going to be one of our soulmates. Mm. Um, but do it when it feels good. I think when we get into this like forced place, it's just it, it never takes us to where we want to go. So just take your foot off the gas and, and redirect yourself. Yeah, do it when it feels good. Mm. I like that as a really, you know, just a snippet because... I often talk to people about spending time with the people that they do love. Mm. Go and spend time with your siblings, your friends. Go on dates. Yeah, exactly. But with them. Because I think it's very easy for people to slip into that pattern. Maybe this is almost Mm. full circle to where we started the conversation. But that pattern of feeling unloved or unlovable when there are so many different models of love and connection and Mm. affection in our lives but again we are so focused on that one way or we prioritize in such a huge way that way of being loved Mm. that we can lose sight of some of the other stuff absolutely absolutely so well put so do it if it feels good or exactly don't if it don't (laughs) and that includes I guess dating and I people you know I get asked this all the time you know how many date should I give it or if I'm not feeling it should I give it a chance and I'm, I always say always give it a chance but don't oh yeah set, settle like settling is something it's actually a word that came up in one of the previous episodes with um Charlotte Fox Webber we did an episode on breakups and she was like I hate that word yeah she was like there is nothing positive about that mm. and I think that that does play a part in it doesn't it because it Maybe if in terms of, as you're saying about vibe, maybe that's pretty low vibe because it's... it's God, totally. Settling is like the opposite of manifestation. Okay. And also, when you go on dates, I would say like as a leaving advice for anyone going on a date, when you go on that date, when you're on your way to that date, the question you should be asking yourself is not, I hope they like me. Like, will they like me? It's, will I like them? Will they be good enough for me? But you have to go into a date with that mindset. Because otherwise... Otherwise you're focusing focusing all your worth on them and you're yeah. worried about, you know, you're not even reading properly the vibration, the connection, the chemistry, because all you're worried about is, is this going to make me feel like I'm enough? Yes. Rather than actually understanding, like, was there a true connection? If there's a true connection, you both feel it equally. And if there's not, there's not. And it's not personal. Yeah. Because it's just trial and error. That's what dating is, right? Human trial and error. Exactly. Yeah. That is such a, I don't know, a big point for us to finish on, I think, because it's, it feels like if we go into that or any situation, perhaps, whether it's sex, dating, work, relationships with the cloud of, am I going to be good enough? Mm. Or with the kind of lens of, am I going to be good enough? That feels like it obscures a lot that could be really genuine in that situation. Definitely. Or it means we don't see it. Definitely. Roxy, thank you. I feel like I could just pick your brain <laughs> for hours. <laughs> all I can say is go and read the book, which, <laughs> and then you will get all of this. But you have put it all into the book with the seven steps and it is so accessible and bite-sized and manageable. But I think for me, how would you close off a conversation about manifesting and how it plays out in love, sex, romance, intimacy, dating? You know, what? what's the thing that you would love to leave people with? I think it's just 
understanding that love comes in many forms. Like we experience it in many different ways, but the love that we have for ourselves is always the most important. From that foundation, we are so much more able to attract um, the right kind of relationships into our life. We give ourselves permission to have the relationships that we actually want and experience sex in the way that we want. Um, and I encourage everybody to use manifesting to support their love and romance journey. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sexual Wellness Sessions. If you'd like to join us for more conversations, you can click subscribe on either Apple or Spotify podcasts. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review.